right? And so today, with that, that message of that song goes along with what we're talking about today, which is in Psalm 23, verse number 5, talking about burdens that we have, talking about the hurts that we have in life. And, uh, you know, how do we handle them whenever we go through struggles? You know, what is it that can give us victory over those struggles that we have in life? Um, I just want to start off and say, you know, it's a pretty well-known fact. I think it's a pretty well-known fact for, for, with most guys anyway, that the toughest people in the world are dudes. You know, the only thing you have to do is you watch war movies. We all know how tough they are, how strong they are. And I never thought any different until Emily had our first child. Now, when Emily had her first child, we were living up in North Carolina in a really small town. And I remember she woke me up in the middle of the night. And it was not the kind of wake me up where she just sort of gently nudged on me and said, hey, we need to go to the hospital. It was one of those things where she was, uh, um, she was on all fours and she was sort of crying out to me, get me to the hospital. It was almost like demon possession. And so I, I got up scared to death. And so I, I got up and I... I got her to the car. I went and got the luggage that she had prepared, and we had to drive like 15 miles to the hospital. And I, it, it was harder on me, I think, than her. And so, you know, we're flying down there, and I'm looking over at her, and I'm thinking, she's actually going to bite through the dashboard. And so we get to the hospital in this little old country town, and we pull up, and we're at the emergency room area, and there's four nurses standing outside, I kid you not, and they're all out there smoking cigarettes. It's like 1 in the morning, and I pull up, and I said, my wife's getting ready to have a baby. And they said, honey, is this your first baby? And I said, yeah, it's your first one. They said, you just take your time. It's going to be a while. They said, you go park the car. We'll take her in. Just relax. So I went and parked the car. Now, what they did not know about Emily is that she has babies quickly. And so after I dropped the car off, I went upstairs, and she is already having our first son, Hank. And I'm looking at her, and I see the pain she's in, and I begin to say, Hey, what's that shot thing? You know, y'all are supposed to give her a shot that's going to make all that pain go away. And the nurse looked at me and said, honey, it's too late. Now, after that experience, I just have to say my wife is the toughest person I've ever met in my life. And I just thank God every day that I'm a guy and not a girl. But anyway, wouldn't it be neat if there was a shot like that that you could take that would eliminate all the pain that you've got in life? You know, a shot that you could take that could eradicate and move all the disappointments and all the hurts that you've experienced. Unfortunately, there's not really a shot like that available. But that's why I think that the 23rd Psalm is such a, it's really a neat passage of Scripture. Because as we continue our series, Stress Busters, we're going to see King David sharing with us in this verse about how we can find healing in the midst of the hurts that we have in life. And my guess is that there's some of you here today, and you've got some hurts in your life, and you have some disappointments in your life, and you're searching and you're looking for how you can have those healed in your life. And we want to know, is it possible? So if you have your Bible, you can look in Psalm chapter 23 and verse number 5. And as you're turning there, if you have your Bible, I think one of the reasons why this psalm is so so popular with people is because it gives us a glimpse of who our God is. Uh, Psalm 23 sort of paints a, a, a picture or shows us what the face of God is like. And so what kind of face does God have? Well, if you go back to Psalm 23, verse number 1, it says there, The Lord is my what? He's my shepherd. 
Now, that, that is the picture of who our God is. He, is. he is a shepherd. Now, what is the role of a shepherd? Well, it's to take care of his sheep. And some of the ways that he takes care of his sheep is he makes sure that he has plenty to eat. He makes sure that he has plenty to drink. He makes sure that, that he's safe. And, and then whenever he's injured, the job of a shepherd was to bandage and to care for the sheep so that his wounds would heal. And that's where our focus is today as we look in verse number 5. We're going to look at verse number 5, and we're going to see how God can bring healing to the hurts that we have in life. So how does God bring healing to the hurts that we have in life? I just want, to see, see, I just want us to see three simple ways that happens. So the first way our hurts can be healed is it begins with this. Let Jesus settle the score. If you desire for your hurts to be healed, it begins with you letting Jesus settle the score. Now, in verse number 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The unfortunate thing with this is that very few of us are willing to allow God to settle the score whenever we've been wronged. Uh, typically what we do is we decide we're going to take matters into our own hands. And we decide that we're going to deal with it in several different ways. One of the ways that we try to deal with it when somebody has hurt us, when somebody's wronged us, is say, I'm going to take this matter into my own hands and I'm going to settle the score all by myself. You know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get my pound of flesh. And I know, I know there have been times whenever I've gone out and I've gotten my pound of flesh, but you know what? It did not bring healing to the hurt that I had. I got my pound of flesh, but there was still a wound that was in my life. Others of us try to deal with it in that when we see, uh, see hurts in our lives, we, we try to ignore them. We try to run away from them. And sometimes we try to escape from it you know, physically. If we see someone who's hurt us, we, we get away from them. It's sort of like, you know, it's, it's sort of like the, the flight or fight response. If you, if you find yourself in trouble, one of the responses you can have is just to get away from the problem. And that can be a natural response that you have. But the problem is, even if you run away from that problem, it's, it's still there. You, know, you still have that hurt. And you, you can try to block it out of your mind. And sometimes we try to emotionally escape. We try to emotionally escape by... By pouring ourselves more and more into our work, we try to emotionally escape by, by taking, by taking maybe, maybe drugs or by drinking alcohol. Uh, some people do it by, by getting involved in gaming and all these different things. And you might say, well, some of those things sound like a good solution, but here's the deal with that. After you've done all those things, it hurts still there. And we can try to mask it over and just try to avoid it, but, but we're just simply avoiding the problem and we're not fixing it. In James 5.16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Healing does not occur when we take matters into our own hands. The only way it's ever fixed, the only way we ever experience healing is whenever we bring our pain to God and let Him deal with it. Now, we have to talk about this text from the standpoint of a shepherd. You know, verse number 1, Lord's my shepherd. That, that's the context of this passage of Scripture. And one thing a shepherd does is he guides his sheep. And we're told that one thing that he'll do in verse number 5 is that he will prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Now, sheep have a lot of enemies. And the reason why is because they're easy prey. I mean, there's, there's wolves, there's lions, there's coyotes, there's snakes and bears. All kinds of things are able to attack a sheep. 
And, and sheep, it's really interesting. One of the things I read about them is they can't defend themselves very well. One, if they try to bite their predator that's coming after them, their teeth, are, their teeth aren't sharp. That's so, I, mean, I mean, talk about bad luck. You know, they can't even, if they bite something, it's not really going to, it's not going to tear them up. And then on top of that, sheep, you know, we, if you look at their legs, you know, they have this big looking body, and then they have these skinny little legs, which are kind of wobbly, which means they're not fast. You know, they can't run away from their predators. And then, did you know sheep do not have the ability, and I didn't know this, they don't have the ability to like, you know, get on the four, I guess their forearms, uh, their front legs, and kick. They can't kick. And so they can't defend themselves. The only way they can be safe is that they have a shepherd that's watching out for them. Now, how does a shepherd watch out for a sheep? It says that he prepares a table for them in the presence of his enemies. You all have heard that before, right, when you read through the 23rd Psalm? I've always wondered, what exactly does that mean? He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I'm thinking, that doesn't sound like a good idea. You know, let's sit down and eat with people who hate me, and they're all going to stand up and stab me. That's not what it means. That word table, a lot of scholars believe it's in reference to a table of land, like a plateau. He prepares a plateau for his sheep. Now, sheep, as I told you all from, I think the very first message in the series, is when they eat, they like for it to be cool. And so they go up to the higher altitudes, and they find a flat surface for the sheep to be able to eat. But before they went there, the, the shepherd would go up in that area, and he would make sure that he got rid of all the predators so that a sheep could come and eat in safety. I thought that was neat. Because as I began to apply that to what the Scripture is saying about God's people, it is that God prepares a table for us, a place where we can go and safely relax in Him, where we can go and we can eat in the presence of God, knowing that God's already cleared out all the predators from us so that we can be in safety. And so in essence, what our text is telling us is, listen, you want your hearse to be healed? Don't try to handle the problem yourself. That's God's job. It's God's job to prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. It's not our job. It's not my job to go out and get a pound of flesh. In Romans 12, we are told, Never pay back evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves. What does it say? It says you leave that to God. For He said that He'll repay those who deserve it. Healing will not take place in our lives. Until we give up trying to get a pound of flesh, and we say, God, I will forgive, and I will hand the situation over to you. And yet many of us seek after revenge. You know, revenge is big business these days, but guys, I'll tell you something. It does not heal the wounds in your life. What does? It's letting it go. It's forgiveness. And giving it to God and saying, Lord, I will let you handle what I'm going through because you are a just God, you are a big God, and you understand what needs to happen. Now, there's a lot of us who are hurt. A lot of you are carrying baggage and wounds, and it is wearing you out there. It's a heavy load that you're carrying. And it's time for you to lay those bags down, to give them to God, and to let Him deal with it. Why? He prepares the table. For us in the presence of our enemies. It's not my job to take care of my enemies. It's God's job. So how do, how do we begin that process of having our, our hurts healed? You let Jesus settle the score. I think God, Jesus can handle himself, right? He's, he's big enough to do that. He doesn't need our help. 
And here's the second thing. The second way our hurts can be healed is to let Jesus soothe your wounds. Let Jesus soothe your wounds. This is my favorite point. I thought this was really interesting. And I know that you're just going to be so thrilled to death and excited to hear about it. If you're not, just fake it because I think it's really good. Here's what verse 5 says. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And this is where we're going to focus right now. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Shepherds, what they would do with their sheep is they would get oil and they would rub the oil all over the sheep's head and all over his nose. Now, why in the world would he do that? A couple reasons. One, it was to soothe, but it was also to heal. Now, to help explain this, we'll talk about the soothing part of it first. Uh, You know what the number one pest to a sheep is? And I I know my guess is that you probably don't. I don't know any sheep farmers out here. But my guess is it would be really easy to say, well, anything anything that's a predator, Anything that's going after a sheep, you know, bear, lion, snake, whatever it might be, you say that would be a pretty big pest for a sheep. And you might say that would be like one of the top three. The number one pest and irritant to a sheep are flies. And this is something that I, that I read about, uh, about sheep, and I thought it was just tremendously interesting to me. Uh, in the summertime in Israel, that's when the flies, you know, that's really when they come out. And you know how, you know how flies, they, when, you know, when you're with your dog or something, the flies seem to s- swarm your dog. So if you have dirty children, right, you know, they'll just sort of get all, all over stuff. And they just fly all around and drives you absolutely insane. With sheep, they get all over sheep just like any other animal. Now, here's the problem with sheep. You know, sheep do not have long tails. Have you ever seen a sheep with a long tail? No, they don't have them. So they can't use their tail to swat the flies off. And so those sheep get all, I mean, those flies get all over the sheep, and they drive them insane. And here's what's really interesting, and y'all just bear with me. The, the flies will actually fly up into the nostrils of the sheep. Now, would that drive you crazy? They fly up into the nostrils. You know, they don't have hands like we do, and they can't keep them out. So they sit there, and they have nothing they can do, and they lay their eggs up there. Oh, gross, right. The larvae get in there, and then they begin to hatch when they hatch. It is, it is almost unbearable for the sheep. And so the sheep, you, if you, the shepherds will tell you, that if, if they have done this to the sheep, the sheep will begin to ram their head up against rocks, trees, anything, trying to dislodge the flies from their nose. Aren't you thankful that you have hands? And so anyway, so that's what happens to, that's what happens to sheep. Now here's, this is how, y'all, there's really a point to this, and it's not to gross you out. Here's the point. Verse 5. It says, the Lord anoints my head with oil. Now, here's what this means. Sheep, whenever they have a shepherd, they will be anointed. Their heads will be anointed with oil. It's all over their head, all over their noses. The shepherd would mix in sulfur with the oil. And this became an insect repellent. Isn't that cool? Number one irritant to a sheep is flies. And our text says, do you have any irritations in your life? Things that pester you, that drive you crazy. Our text says God will anoint your head with oil to keep that stuff away. Now, a lot of us, we, we have irritants in our lives. I mean, some of you might have, you might have, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's some neighbors that drive you crazy. Maybe you have, you know, maybe you have family members that every time you get together with them that they, they irritate you and that they, they, everything they say seems like they're trying to belittle you all the time. It could be that you're at your workplace and there's people that just simply get on your nerves. Whatever it might be, what our text is telling us today is why don't you just simply come to God and let Him anoint your head with oil so that He can deal 
with the irritants that are in your life. And I said, well, what, what are the ways that he deals with that? I mean, I, how does God deal with the irritants in my life? Through his word. You know, one reason why Scripture is so important, because as we read Scripture, it opens up the path that God desires for us to travel down so that we can, so we can avoid some of these irritants that we have. That's why David was able to write in Psalm 119, 11. He says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But oil wasn't just an insect repellent. It was also something that was used as medicine. Whenever sheep were injured, the shepherd would take the oil and he would use it to clean out the wounds. And so what this text is saying, what it's saying to us today is if you are hurt, if you've been cut in your life, that God has, he has a healing agent that he wants to put on you. You know, that, that, that oil was used in order to clean out wounds, to clean out infections, to heal people. Do you have wounds in your life today? You know, do you have cuts in your life? Are you wondering how to find relief? Is there anything out there that can give you relief in your life? Psalm 147.3 says this about our God. It says, He heals the brokenhearted and He binds up their wounds. You see, if if we're going to be willing to come to the Lord like a sheep does to a shepherd, we have a God who will bandage us up with oil so that we can heal. Now, some of us need more bandaging than others. And if you have a light, if you have a light scratch, if your kid has a light scratch, what do you do? You you know, you you kiss it and then you put a little Band-Aid on it and it gets better. It's not that big of a deal. But if if the wound is deep, man, it takes a while to heal, doesn't it? Now, I'm not saying that if you come to God and you have some deep cuts in your life, I'm not saying that if you come to him and say, Lord, bind me up, you know, bandage me, put your oil upon me. I'm not saying that you're immediately going to have that, that cut's going to immediately heal over. It takes time. Because deep cuts take time to heal. The deeper the cut, divorce, betrayal, Getting the shaft at your job takes time to heal. I say, well, how do these healings come about? How can I be healed? What kind of bandages does God use to heal somebody like me who's been cut? Who's been cut deeply for years? What does God do? This is one one of the reasons why I, I believe the church is so important. I believe God has given the church to be a bandage for all of us. So that as we, are, as we are cut and as we are hurting, that we can come to each other and we can find support. We can go into our small groups and we can pray for each other and love each other. I believe that's one of the bandages that God uses in order to bring healing. I believe another bandage is prayer. You know, if you're hurting, tell God. Go to God in prayer and say, God, this is what's going on in my life. God, this is how, you know, this is how I've been messed around, God, and I need, I need victory. I need you to heal me. And I promise you, God's going to be able to handle whatever it is that you tell Him. It's another bandage that He uses. I believe another bandage that God uses to bring healing to our lives is us getting up and serving other people. I I know this in my own life. Whenever I'm serving people who've been through what I've been through, but I've been able to kind of move through it, man, there's a camaraderie that develops with us. And there's a strengthening that takes place as we begin to understand, you know what, this cut that I have in my life, it can be healed. 
Guys, God wants to put oil on your head to help take care of the irritants that you have in your life. He wants to put oil on your head in order to bring healing into your life. Now, how do we, how do we have healing? Let Jesus settle the score. Let Jesus soothe your wounds. This is the last one I want you to see. Another way our hurts can be healed is to let Jesus satisfy your needs. Let Jesus satisfy your needs. Again, in verse number 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And here's what we're going to focus on here. My cup overflows. In the Bible, when it talks about a cup overflowing, that is a picture of complete satisfaction. It is a picture of, of your supply always being available to you. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in John 10.10, 10, where Jesus told his disciples... He said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That word abundantly, it literally means to the fill. It's the picture of a cup being filled all the way up to the brim. All the way up to the brim. Now, you can imagine in the Middle East how important a statement like that would have been. In the Middle East, uh, water's a scarcity. So if you talk about a cup overflowing, people are going to be excited about that. If you, if you find out about a person who says, hey, that guy's got a constant supply of water. If you live in the Middle East, you're going to be, oh, we got to find that guy. we got to hang out with that guy because it's not going to run out. And so that is, what, that is what our text is telling us about our God, that he has a supply of healing. And he has a supply of forgiveness and a supply of, of hope that will never run out. Now, it's natural for us to be thirsty physically. That it happens to everybody. But it's also natural for us to be thirsty spiritually. And I believe God's made us that way. He has made us to thirst after Him spiritually. That's why we're told in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And the struggle we have, though, is we, we seek to fill that void in our lives with a lot of other stuff. And we seek for for other things to be able to bring satisfaction into our lives. And we try to become self-sufficient, try to fill that desire on our own. Now, there's nothing wrong with self-sufficiency. And there's some good things about it. For those of you who are parents, your goal is for your children to become self-sufficient, right? I mean, you're hoping there's going to be a day, uh, there's, there's some amens out there, uh, there's, you're hoping there's going to be a day when my kid's going to grow up and he's going to pay his own bills, Right? Amen? Hallelujah. Yes, that's exactly what we're looking for. We're looking forward to the day whenever our kids are going to, they're not going to live in our house. You know, they're not going to be 45 years old hanging out with mom and dad. Yeah, we're looking forward to that day when they are going to be self-sufficient. Now, in that regard, self-sufficiency is a good thing. That's what we want. But when it comes to spiritual self-sufficiency, it's impossible. And that's because our starting point is all out of whack. We cannot be self-sufficient spiritually. We're going to always need the Father. The Bible tells us this about our human nature, that we're all messed up from from within. Romans 3.10 says we're all all unrighteous. It says there's no one who seeks God. We're all evil in our very nature. That's good news, right? No. That's what the Bible says. Jeremiah 17.9. Your heart, my heart, the Bible says is deceitful. Above all things. It is, it is wicked. It is beyond cure. I didn't come up with that. That's what the Bible says. 
You know, have you ever heard people say, just follow your heart? Y'all heard that? Man, just follow your heart. Let me tell you something. Don't. You know why? Because your heart ain't no good. Don't follow your heart. Follow God's Word. What else does the Bible tell us? Ephesians 2.3, speaking of us, it says, We are by nature objects of God's wrath. That's pretty hopeless. So what kind of hope do I have then? The only hope we have is Jesus. The only hope we have is the good shepherd, because everything else is going to let us down. Now, where we get in trouble is we look to other things to satisfy us. You know, sometimes we get frustrated our spouses, our husbands, or our wives, because they don't act perfect. You know, because they, they don't love us like we think we deserve to be loved. Now, let me tell you something. Your, your spouse, and, and we want, you need to love your spouse. We want your spouse to love you, but they will never love you perfectly because they can't. They will never meet every one of your needs. Your friendships will never meet every one of your needs. Your, your jobs will never satisfy every one of your needs. Only God can do that. And I believe God's made us in such a way that there's a void in our life that only He can fulfill. So how many needs can God meet of ours? He can meet all of them. He can meet every one of your needs. David said this. He said in verse number 5, Our cup overflows. When it talks about overflowing, it means it always overflows. It means God never runs dry. Our hope in God never runs dry. We're told this in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He fills us up with love. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 says, May the Lord make your love to grow and overflow. There's a custom in the Middle East that everyone's familiar with when it comes to filling up your cup, the overflowing of your cup. Uh, they, have, they take very seriously the idea of hospitality in the Middle East. And so if you're traveling along and you come to someone's house, they're going to invite you in. Whether they know you or even if you're a stranger, they'll invite you in. They'll have you sit down. And one of the first things they'll do is they will fill your cup. So you'll sit down. They'll give you a drink, and they'll fill it up. You'll drink that cup. You set it back down again after you drank it. You know what they'll do? They'll fill up again. They will keep filling it up until they're ready for you to go. Now, that's how you, that's how you know. I mean, if you just sit there and they're like, man, you didn't give me, hey, can you give me a little bit more to drink? Well, we're out. You don't stay there. You know, say, so well, why don't you go to the store and get some more? I mean, either they're out, they've run off supplies, or they're ready for you to go. And so everybody knows us in the Middle East. You know, there, there comes a time when they will quit filling your cup. Now, what's interesting about our text today is David says, my cup overflows. God will never quit filling your cup. Is that cool? It's not like we're going to sit there in the presence of God and we are battered and bruised and we are hurting and God's going to look at us and say, you know what? I'm tired of you griping. I'm not filling your cup anymore. It says your cup overflows. And that means that in your brokenness and in your hurt, that God will continually fill your cup. He has the ability to heal your brokenness. Are you hurting today? Are you weak today? I want you to see God has the ability to heal you. How does He heal our hurts? Just in our text today, I say, when we let Him settle the score. I look in our text, He can heal our hurts when I allow Him to soothe my wounds, when I allow Him to satisfy my 